This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 428. They said, hey, I just want to let you know we, we got your offer for 18. That, by the way, no proof of funds, no nothing. Like, we got your offer for 18. We met this other guy who was a cash buyer. He was like oh, 50 places in the area. He offered us 20. And I was like, okay, well, that's that's it. I'm about to hang up. She's like, well, like, we're going to go with yours. I was like, why would you go with mine? Like, well, we like you better. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and I got one thing to say to you, my co-host, Mr. David Green. Merry Christmas, buddy. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. How you been? Turner. You're, you look like a slim, fit, young Santa Claus. Wow. Thank you. That's actually what I've been going for. I've actually been watching a ton of The Grinch for the whole like Christmas season here. The last like two and a half months. I've been watching the, the, the newer version of The Grinch, not the Jim Carrey one, the newer one. Because Rosie loves it. And mm-hmm. so I like to say I'm I'm like the Grinch. Because he's like, he's he's fairly thin, but you know, he's not all the way in shape. And he's uh got kind of a nasty looking beard but it's okay whatever I'm and he loves green and he so loves you I, I actually don't like green at all well you gotta pretend to when you're doing this podcast <laughs> okay i love green and i love christmas i actually we got our tree up like two months ago because we're like this has been a rough year let's have a longer holiday season so we like put it up before thanksgiving there you go yeah. i'm sure the kids didn't mind that yeah actually this actually leads into today's quick tip. tip here's my quick tip for you you can choose like what you want to be excited and happy about, you don't have to rely. And it sounds like super, I know esoteric or whatever, but like, listen, up. like you get to choose what you want to be excited about and what you want to be excited for in the future. And so in other words, if you're like, like I was like earlier this year, I'm like, I'm going to choose to just be super excited about Christmas and be all in rather than being grumpy about it. So I'm not quite the Grinch. You can do the same thing. Choose what you want to be excited about, what you want to choose to be enthusiastic about, and then be that to your family, be that to your friends. So that's my quick tip today is choose what you want to be excited about. It's really good. You like that? I, I just think I people it. always like, they feel like their emotions drive them and they do, but they forget that we're actually in charge. You can define what emotions you want to have and then you can kind of make yourself feel that way, which is cool. Anyway, 100% true. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I know you ain't, you're not feeling super good today. You got a little bit of cold, I see. Yeah, Sorry. I'm fighting one off, but this weekend was awesome. In spite of that, we put six people under contract on really? Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it was, it was spectacular. Maybe, maybe you need to get a cold more often so you uh-huh. can get more people in contract. I don't know. Balance out the force. I can't have a great weekend and be healthy the whole time, right? You got to take go. the good with the bad. Well, speaking of good with the bad, you know, you and I are the bad and our guest today is the good. Our guest today is Rodney Ross. Rodney is awesome. He is a real estate investor in the Philadelphia area. What part uh, of Philadelphia? West Philadelphia, born <laughs> and raised. And he is, I don't know if he's actually from West Philadelphia, but he's he investing there now. And he's got just like a cool like vibe to like the way he approaches real estate. It's very relational based. He's going to talk today about how to get people to like you so they want to do business with you. How when you make an offer, and even if you offer less than other people, you may still get your offer accepted above those who had a higher price because they like you. So we talk a lot about that today. We talk about the burr strategy, something we call browse hacking, which is kind of cool, and about like financing a bunch of real estate deals, how he's done a lot of really creative, no and limited down stuff, and how his first deal, he lost a bunch of money on it. So you're going to learn about that today and a lot more. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid Certified Reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. All right, with that said, it's time to get into today's show. Anything you want to add, David, before we get started? Yeah, what I love about Rodney is that his the the beauty in what he's doing is in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. He's finding deals on the MLS. He's doing it through relationships. He's being very open and transparent about what he does. He's putting other people before himself. And that has resulted in big wealth being built. It's yeah. not some super secret little niche that no one else knows about. You got to outsmart everyone. Just do the fundamentals better and you can be successful, which means that his strategy can be replicated by anybody. And he gives us some really good advice on how to do it. Yeah, so good. So good. Well, with that said, let's get to the show. All right, Rodney, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. Good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a dream come true. Yeah, good. I love making dreams come true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about your real estate story. How did you get started with real estate? Why real estate? What were you doing before that? And how'd you get into your very first deal? So I actually learned about, I, I started learning about the whole concept of real estate way back in college. Like I'm from Philly and that's where I'm at. 
and pretty much grew up in the suburbs here. So I was going to, I was studying engineering here and I moved in my second year. I moved in after I was like, I was on the rowing team, which took up all my time and energy and all that. And then stopped that, moved in with uh, six other roommates. And one of them was a Keller Williams agent. And mind you, like he was in his fourth year and he, long story short, like he, it just blew me away that like you could, I didn't know anything about business or real estate or anything. And just as an agent, he was making like more money than almost both my parents who were working full time. And he's a part-time agent in classes. So he's one of my best friends today. He just gave me this book. So he, he gave me this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm mm-hmm. sure obviously you guys have heard about. And it just fascinated me so much. Like I read the whole thing through in one sitting because I thought I was going to just follow the traditional like, all right, I'm going to do my college, be an engineer, make money and whatever. And then that just changed everything. So long, that was actually 19 then. I read that book. And then I'm like, a, I'm kind of like a high risk personality, like ready, fire, aim. Mm-hmm. So I uh, took a little bit of money, extra money in student loans. And I actually bought my first place uh, right before I turned 20. And I lost everything. Oh, no. So, yeah, it was basically it's like a little single family section eight rental in Southwest Philly. And I put down $8,000 and took over this guy's mortgage, which I'd read about in the book. I'm like, yeah, cool. I can't qualify for one. So I'll take over this guy's mortgage. And then everything went horribly after that. The section eight payment stopped a month after I bought it. The tenant actually ended up dying in the house, believe it or not, a couple months afterwards. And then the son who was there, like, he started threatening to sue me because he tripped or something. So I just let it go. I gave it back to the guy. I gave a thousand bucks. So I pretty much lost everything but a thousand bucks. And then I got my license a year afterwards in 2010 and then started selling, you know, graduated in 2012. Finally, we was able to start buying stuff again, like in 2015 and then in 2017. Uh, that's when the whole, like, you know, it's, really it's growing into it. Back. So I want to go back to this first deal. This is fascinating. Knowing today. So a couple of things that went, that went crazier there, right? Like section eight stopped paying at some yeah. point. Is that because the person got off the program or they stopped, you know, it's like, because the lease renewal happened to be a month after I closed and they okay. had to do their biannual ins- or their, I think it was yep. annual for them, their annual inspection. And then I failed yep. and I didn't have any money because yep. I spent it all buying it. Yeah, this is something interesting. A lot of times people talk about Section 8, you know, like for those who don't know Section 8, which is the, they, they have a new fancy name for it now. Everyone's still called the Section 8. But yeah, it's like this program where the government pays the rent. And so, or at least a portion of it, right? So all, all investors tend to think, oh, amazing. Like this is going to be great. Yeah. Like the free money from the government. There's no risk. The truth is like, yeah, there, I mean, I like Section 8. I have some Section 8 rentals still, but I've had very similar bad experiences where like one of mine was the section eight stopped paying because, and this one wasn't necessarily my, my property's fault, but the lady refused to allow in the inspectors because she thought they were government spies. Well, if they yeah. can't inspect, they won't renew their voucher. And so like we ended up having to evict her and she ended up threatening us with our, like saying she was going to shoot us. And it was, it was, it was like, it was messed up. So section eight, first of all, doesn't guarantee money for sure. Like there still are conditions, but what I want to know is like knowing what you know now, you bought this property basically subject to, and it just mm-hmm. didn't work out. What would you do differently today? Do you think you could have salvaged that deal based on the knowledge you have today? Or is that just going to be gone no matter what, just because you had no money to go into it? Like, what would you do? I think it was probably doomed from the beginning, unless I, the only way I could have made it work is to have had a little bit more money to start with, because like, I only had like $10,000 in the world was like everything on the planet. And mm-hmm. I borrow a little money from the ones that get that much. And so after I, 
I didn't have money to do the repairs to get the section eight back up to running. But I think yeah. I was, so like if I had had that extra money, probably, but I was still kind of upside down from the start. It would have been like salvageable, but like the mortgage balance was like 50,000 and the house was probably worth 50,000. So not the best deal ever. I just wanted to try and get some cash flow and yeah. it would have cash flowed a little, but it would have been a rough road. I don't think I would have done that that way, knowing everything I know uh, today. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to just commend you for I mean, jumping in and trying it. Like most people will never even, will never jump in and try anything. So, I mean, the fact that you jumped in, you tried it, didn't work. You figured out what didn't work really, really well. Yeah. And then a few years later, you got back into it heavy. So let's, let's move there. So you became, you became a real estate agent first. Is that right? You started, became an agent then after that? It, exactly. Right after that, okay. 2010. So I was, I still had like a couple years of school left. I thought, okay, I clearly know how to not do it right. Yeah. And I'm going to get my license. I'm going to go join the same office my buddy's at, learn how to sell houses, like learn with other people's money and make some commissions. And then hopefully I can have savings and start investing with that. So like I graduated in 2012, then went right, you know, right into full time. I only, I probably sold like two or three houses while I was in school, just random, like the cookie truck guy or some person I happened to talk to up at Craigslist and then started doing okay. I graduated. And then a year after I graduated, I actually joined a, uh, I was, except for this 18 month period, I've been like with Keller Williams all the time. I just, I didn't really know much about construction. So I left uh, the Keller Williams office and went and joined a construction company developer in the area. So I was pretty much just like a, the lone realtor in the middle of the construction office. I figured I'd get a double whammy because like they would, they had a couple sales that they gave to me, which helped with a little bit of income, but also like I was just kind of sitting around in a bunch of construction meetings, trying to learn about the rehab process. So I could actually feel comfortable buying something. So that was like th 2013, 14. And then finally in 2015, I was actually able to buy like a couple, three more places with, I, I was wholesaling in between that time. So like okay. I learned, I think I did my first wholesale deal in 2013, did, I don't know, maybe like a dozen or so in the next year and a half. And then one opportunity came along where there was a family that I had sold one of their houses for in West Philly. And they had was an old lady in her family. They had a group of five places and long story short, like I was trying to sell all five of them as a realtor at once. They were all beat up shells and all that needed to be sold to investors, but it didn't work out. And I figured like if I had more control, cause they all needed to close with different people, but at the same time. So I just put them under contract instead and then wholesale two of them and was able to like keep the other three. Oh, cool. Without putting any money in the pocket, which is like crazy. And then I resold those and uh, paid off some debt. And that was like my next jump into the investing in 2015. Yeah, very cool. All right. So you you got started. You kind of started doing this wholesaling thing, started picking up some houses. I mean, like these are like, like you said, shells of houses that are maybe not yeah. in the Mixed world. Mixed-use buildings, actually. Uh, really? Those are okay. the first couple ones, yeah. And I know, I mean, I was honestly like looking at Philadelphia this morning for rental property stuff. I'm just working through some projects for BP and I was just digging into the data on Philadelphia. And there are a lot of really old properties there that are, some of them are shells. You, you still buy them $20,000 in some areas for some rough little properties. Like, is that what these were? This is a little bit different? Pretty much, that's what it was. Like okay. these three, they just happened to be mixed use because the guy, like the other investor that I sold the other ones who didn't want them. So it was actually like an old seafood store and then some really, really beat up almost falling down. I don't even know what kind of store it used to be, but I didn't even really care what they were. I just figured like, all right, I can make a little bit of, once 
I, what, I, I, fig, I figured like, so basically all the properties had like a bunch of liens on them, right? They had like a hundred something dollars worth, hundred something thousand dollars worth of liens on them. And the two that I sold, that I knew that that, that investor was going to clear the liens off, which, and those same liens were on mine. So like once he paid them off, then I was able to sell mine a couple months later and make like $40,000 off of it. Wow, and that cool. helped a little bit with like more confidence than anything. And then I started looking for like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm starting to get a little confidence, old sales and properties. Now I'm trying to find partners. And then it, it really like took off in 2017. The one I put together, the one partnership where we did the 36 houses redevelopment in West Philly. And also in that year, another partnership with my partner where we bought like we bought probably like 17, 18 places. We're just building up a steady. We've got almost 20 units right now, building up a steady like rental portfolio. But yeah, like to kind of answer your question, you can buy, you can just find, Philly's pretty simple. Like most properties are like 14, 18 feet wide and 35 to 45 feet deep. And it's, it's all kind of the same sort of box and you can make bi-level duplex, you know, duplex with two bi-level units or a triplex with three single four units. And the cash flow is pretty good. Yeah, that's cool. So would you say most of these properties that you're buying, they require an extensive amount of rehab? Yeah, most of them are almost full guts. We probably only got like two that aren't. And now we're jumping into Camden. Like we just bought, the last one we just bought was already good to go, but it's all full guts. So is part of are, is part of your team a contractor who's included in the equity of the deal or are you just contracting that out? We're contracting that out. And like for the first couple, we managed ourselves to really, really learn and just subbed everything out and built the whole team and got like all the mechanical guys, electric guy, HVAC guy, plumbing guy, carpenter framer, all that. And then then we used the general contract. We, we've worked with one, one guy, most of them, who's handled most of the DC work. But now I have my DC license and we're kind of back to subbing out. Like I think the guy's prices that we've been using like have crept up a little bit. So now we're managing the construction a little more, more closely ourselves. Okay. So you have your general contractor's license, a real estate yeah. license you hold with Keller Williams, you're doing wholesaling and you're keeping a lot of these properties yourself, correct? Yeah. I'm not really wholesaling that much anymore. Right now it's mainly just retail sales and then just focusing on you know, we're doing three or four or five at a time uh, rehabs. And so you're at about 20 units, you said? Yeah. 20 is, that, is that with your partners? Yes, I like it's. I pretty much I have one partner, and okay, not good. all of them with uh, that one partner, but most of them are. So, how do you and this partner that we're referring to here split up the work as well as the ownership? So we're we're fifty fifty partners. We split up. So like I manage the construction a little bit more closely, and I'm like cutting the checks and doing a lot of that communication. She's really good with the finishes, and like there's certain things that I don't like to do, like colors. I'm horrible with kitchen designs. That kind of more abstract stuff, terrible with. I love numbers. And I have more time than she does generally. And that's how our partnership kind of started. She had much more savings than I did. I had more time. And so that's how it's split. And we need to, that's one thing we're actually working on right now. We have to like more closely define what our, what our roles are, which is one of our resolutions, if you call it that. Beautiful. Okay. So that's what you're going to be doing moving forward. Now, it sounds like you've got a lot of things covered for once you find the deal. Tell us how you're actually finding these deals, what your strategy is to, to get them, lock them up, and then divvy up the responsibilities of who's going to do what. Yeah. So finding the deals for me, like I, I don't have any magic systems. Like we actually don't really do a lot of marketing. Most of it's almost everything we bought for now has been one-on-one -on -one conversations. Like I'm really good at like 
one-on-one phone call or in person. So before this year, I'd gone to a bunch, I've been going to networking events for 10 years. There's a couple of big meetups that were here. That's by the way, this is like how I met my one partner who we did the 36 houses with, but it's nothing complicated. I just asked certain questions. Um, like I think that I'm, my superpower is probably like being able to build rapport with people and ask the right questions and then get into like a meaningful conversation really quickly. And as simple as it sounds, like just doing that X amount of times every week, a deals just come around once every so often. And, and a lot of stuff we buy is on the MLS too, by the way. Yeah, I was just going to ask, is it mostly off market or on market? It sounds like it's kind of a mix. It's a mix. It's a little more on off market than on market. But like we probably bought like eight or nine that are on the MLS and the rest off market. But okay. it's the same like for stuff that's on market. It always comes up at a like it's the same thing every time. Like you see something. I'm thinking about a house that we flipped and sold it sold uh, like a month or so ago. It was listed at 110,000. I knew it's worth like 50 to 60 and call day one. Hey, like my name's Rodney and buy places in the area. We don't know each other yet, but I'm just letting you know, like, this is exactly like what we buy. I'll pay you 55 for it. No, no, whatever. We're going to get more for it. Like hang up, call them two weeks later. Same conversation. How are you doing? Have you sold it? No, 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 no. And then hang up. So like, and then that one evolved into a month in, they got another offer finally for like 75 from a two or three K buyer, which I knew that was probably going to fall through. It always does because the buyer walks in and they think that it's going to need 30 grand and it needs really like a hundred. So just, it's a lot of waiting people out and just being really upfront or really, I guess I like, I come in with my real number usually like right off the bat. And then Italy, if it doesn't work, I don't, I'm not changing anything like, Hey, like this is, it's the same number I told you like two months ago. Like we're, we're serious. I can get this closed in a couple of weeks. I'm not joking around, but I know what I'm doing. Like I know what it's actually worth and what it's going to take to you know, to rehab. That is such a good point. And something that people should be like, you know, writing down this note and then make, I mean, if you applied nothing, like no change to your business, but that one thing is like every time you make an offer, follow back up two weeks later and just keep doing that until the offer, like the project is sold or you know, somebody else yeah. buys it or you buy it. Like people would buy so many more deals just from, just from that one little thing. So, yeah. So when you're, do you, how do you track that stuff? I mean, are you just remembering, like, I know you're not doing, you know, dozens of deals a month here. So, but mm-hmm. do you have like a CRM or how do you track, uh, you know, I got to go follow up with this person in a couple of weeks. These days we keep it real simple. Like we use our KW systems, KW command. And like, okay. it's got this little pipeline thing and you just drag people from one, one step to the next. So like, the warm leads we've just got, yeah, I don't know, maybe like a couple dozen people there. And I just look that look through that once a week and like, oh man, I feel like, you know, so-and-so is probably ready for another phone call. And same thing mm-hmm. with like wholesalers or just a couple wholesalers who I'll keep in touch with. And then every once in a while I'll get lucky and they'll bring me something. We have two, two uh, another one under contract right now where the guy brought me something right before he was about to list it. He, he wholesales and does say, you know, retail sales. So I've just, lucky to have like some decent relationships with some of these uh, guys and gals and they bring stuff to us and then we, we go after it immediately. So would you say like when you're talking off market stuff, are most of them, you talk about relationship based, which, which is awesome. Does mm-hmm. that mean primarily you're talking with like wholesalers and they're the ones out there maybe doing the direct mail or doing the door knocking or, you know, auctions or whatever. And then they get under contract and sell to you. Is that how this is? Or is yeah. it, is it okay? A lot of it. Yep. And like we, sometimes it'll be sellers, but like it's a lot of it's wholesalers and re- or realtors who do the occasional wholesale deal. 
So how, how do you find a good one? I mean, this is a common complaint in real estate is there's so many bad wholesalers out there. There's so many people who think they're wholesaling and really it's just daisy chaining like 10 different wholesalers yeah. and everyone upsells. And it's hard to find the good ones that are providing actual good deals. So how do you, how do you find a good one, a good wholesaler that's out there hunting deals for you? And then how do you build relationships and keep that rapport going? Cause you, I, I agree. You like, you seem awesome at building rapport. So how do you do that for somebody who's listening to this going, I don't even have any experience at all. I just want somebody to find deals for me. So I think that like, so finding a good wholesaler, you, you, you don't really know. Well, I think I'm trying to think about the best way to answer this. Like when I say I ask the right questions and I get in a conversation with people that kind of knocks off. I think it checks all the boxes. Like how do you find the right people and get in a relationship? Like I think within a couple minutes of meeting someone or talking to them on the phone, I'll ask like if, it, if I'm talking to a wholesaler that I, I don't know, I like to just ask like, Hey, I see you sent out whatever, like I'm thinking about this one on Belmont Avenue that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Like you sent out this place, it was $75,000. You just need to know the right questions to ask. Like, hey, just want to make sure, like, you just got to ask the obvious, like, is this your deal or do you have this under yeah. contract and you're JVing with somebody? Awesome. Like, do you, did you guys already run title already? Or like, if we put something under, con- if, if we come to an agreement, do you want me to run title? How many, like, do you typically do stuff in this area or are you, are you all around the city? And by the time you just ask, four or five questions like that, they get a sense that you know what you're talking about. And, you know, then you get to, all right, like, if you had any offers on this, cool. All right, you have someone who offered you asking price on it. Cool. Like, did that person send you proof of funds and all that? Or like, what do you think is the percentage you're going to close that person? And I think that, like, if you have the EQ to just know what position they're in, because a lot of wholesalers, they're writing off so many people. There's, they have tons of buyer leads, right? So I think if you just show that, you know, that like, one of the things I think I say to wholesalers is like, I don't need to be your first guy. Like, just please keep me as a second runner up. Like if your main person falls through, like, I'm serious, I can get this done, but I understand you already have relationships with buyers. And if you have that conversation off, we're like, I'm going to be your runner up guy. Eventually you get something. So that's what's really, really helped us actually like get in a relationship with real people you know, it reminds me of like, I mean, imagine this picture where there's, there's 20 people in a room, there's 10 wholesalers out there looking for good deals uh, out there and trying to like, you know, whatever the 10 people call themselves wholesalers. And then there's 10 real estate investors who want to buy from those wholesalers. The problem is there's only two real buyers in that out of those 10, let's say 20% of them are actual buyers. And out of those 10 wholesalers, there's only two actual wholesalers. So really out of the 20 people, there's only four actually doing business two and two, let's just say, Yeah, Uh, I'm making the numbers up, right? So the problem is people who like, first of all, people who are wanting to be buyers, like people listening to the show right now saying, I wish I had wholesalers to just bring me deals. First of all, are you one of the two out of 10 that can actually close? And the way you know that largely is because either you've done it before or you're asking those right questions. And then secondly, like if on the wholesaling side, like you've got to talk to a lot of them and the wholesalers, you got to talk to a lot of investors and you got to ask a lot of questions. And eventually if you're networking enough, the reason I bring up the 10 people and 10 people is, is it, it's a picture of like what you have to do to find the right people. This applies to contractors, applies to anything. There's just terrible people all over the place. But the more you mingle and talk to more and more people, the more you perfect your own skill, your own vocabulary, your own desires and wants and needs, what you need and and how you portray yourself. And then the more you meet these other people, the greater chance of getting that connection with the with the top guy over there and you're the top guy yeah. over here, you work together and boom, now you got magic. And now you can do a hundred times more deals. But when people are like, well, I can't find any good wholesalers. I'm like, that's because you've only talked to a couple. And the chances are 
the couple, like their odds are nine out of 10 or eight out of 10 are going to be terrible, which means you got to talk to 20 or 30 or 40 different wholesalers to find the one or two that, that makes sense. Does that, does that make sense to you? Is that how can you operate your life? Yeah. And I agree. And I think like, there's, like you said, there's no way around the numbers. And then just, I don't like whether it's wholesalers or sellers. Like I also just, I like to learn. I love to learn about people. Like I'm a super huge extrovert. And so just asking some of the basic, like, tell me a little bit more about your business. Like, are you guys like one of them, you know, you're sending $10,000 in mailers a month and like you're selling a hundred places a year, or are you just kind of building up and like you're wholesaling things to make, have might make money to build your own rental portfolio. And, and I really actually like want to know the answer to that. And then asking some, like another really good question I think I'd like to ask is like, what kind of challenges are you having in your business right now? Like, I'll tell you what I'm going through. It's really hard for us to find good deals right now that actually make the numbers work and wholesalers that are daisy chaining everything. Like, what is it looking like from your end? And then, it, it, you know, another follow-up to that is like, would it make it easier if, I think is a good lead off, like, all right, would it make it easier if I can just be that buyer that like never bothers you? And then when I see something, I can just, I'll send you my offer. Like, I'll send the deposit to the title company directly. So, you know, I'm serious. Like I think just having a good sequence of like, I, I just try and make it really easy for people to work with us mm, and is. ask the right questions to like, and, and then, yeah, I mean, whether yep. it's a seller or a wholesaler, I'm telling you, like, it's, it's the same thing almost every time. And like, that's how we put our last uh, place in our contract that we're closing on. We have a residential house on this block that we did development. And I was talking to the seller. And how we got under contract was someone on the block uh, who I'd spoken with before. Her husband actually just happened to pass away. She she knew this person. She, she gave my phone number, whatever they called me. And I said, like, well, I met with them and said, hey, look, since I'm a realtor, I have to always disclose, like, I, you know, before we talk about us be buying your place, I'm going to let you know, you could probably list it for like 170, 180 and get an offer. But it doesn't sound like you may want to do that. Like, is it easier for you if I make an offer that may be a little bit less, but we're going to be at a closing table in 30 days, or would you rather go through the whole market process? And they decided, Oh no, I actually like you. And I think you're going to close. And so let's go. They 145. I don't need that extra, whatever, maybe. That's a really good point. And I, I like the integrity behind that too. I mean, like wholesalers get a bad name uh, and sometimes rightfully so for like, you know, like robbing grandma of her property and, and, and whatever. And I like to say like the, the, like the best wholesalers I know, they're not robbing anybody of any properties. Like they're like, right. Hey, this is a legitimate service. You could probably get more. And the seller knows that. And so they're like, Hey, I could list this for you. We could go through the, the hassle. You might want to fix some stuff up. You might, you know, there's, this, there's a thing there, or I get you a little bit less, but it's, you know, we're done. And it's simple. And a lot of people choose that because money is not always the number one primary motivator for people. I 100% agree. And just being like genuine and like, I'm, I like to tell like it is like, even if you don't have like the first couple deals way back when I, that I did, like I didn't have any money at all to close in anything. The first wholesale deal I did in South Philly, I offered I went and hung up bandit signs a couple of times at like 4 a.m. on a Saturday so they wouldn't get torn down. <laughs> and the first place I put under contract was for $18,000. I made an offer for $18,000. A little house probably worth like 30, I thought. And long story short, like it took me a while to make the offer. It took me a while to do a lot of things, but I met with a seller and had a, I just built a lot of rapport, had a really good conversation, learned about like what happened. It was an estate situation like horrible way that they found their family member, like deceased inside the house. I was there for like two hours. Right. Yeah. 
they got an offer. They got two offers, mine for 18, somebody else's for 20. And I, when they called me back, they said, Hey, I just want to let you know, we, we got your offer for 18. That by the way, no proof of funds, no nothing. Like we got your offer for 18. We met this other guy who was a cash buyer. He was like oh, 50 places in the area. He offered us 20. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's it. I'm about to hang up. She's like, well, like, we're going to go with yours. I was like, why would you go with mine? Like, well, we like you better. I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I'm, I was like 22. I'm like, I don't have any money. Like, it's going to take me probably like two months to close. Oh yeah, that's fine. Like, just let us know. We'll come back up from, they lived in Delaware. We'll come up from Delaware. One time. It took me like two and a half months to close in that place because I couldn't find a buyer. And they stuck it out because they actually like enjoyed our conversations. I say so, this all I say this all the time, just people like to sell to people they like. And like the more you can get people to like you, the more chance you have of people wanting to work with you. Now there's a number that they're not going to sell you that property for a dollar. You know, mm-hmm. they're not going to give you 20, but there's a discount that everyone offers called the likability discount. And everybody, mm. no matter how grumpy they are, even even like, you know, Scrooge McDuck or whatever would offer like a little, you know, or man, Scrooge McDuck, Scrooge from, you know, whatever. Like they offer, they offer, they would, there's a likability like discount. So the more you can build into that, the more you can build that rapport, the better. Yeah. So Rodney, yeah. what advice do you have for listeners who are maybe thinking, well, I want to be likable. What do I have to do to be likable? It's a really good question. I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is like, don't try and be lot, like it's less judgmental as possible. Like everybody has their life isn't like the life is hard and yeah. everybody's got their own, whatever they're going through. And like, I try and not judge anybody off the bat regardless of some of the crazy things that you see or people you run into crazy, right. In quotes in real estate. And like, I think just asking, like really learn how to ask probing questions. And that, that says a lot more than trying to like tell someone how cool you are. Like I never, I don't ever get asked for like proof of funds or bank statements or all that just really because I ask a lot of probing questions and people get the sense that like, cool. Like, I think this guy knows what he's doing. And I actually want to learn about people. So I don't know if that's just like genetic or whatever, but have ask probing questions. And like the ones we talked about, like, just what's like, what's going on in your life? Like, how do you, I'm hearing that. I think this is a way that I can help you. Like, do you think this is a way that I can help you? Just trying to take people through that conversation, whatever, whatever script it is, whatever, whatever you want to, whatever system you want to come up with. Uh, once you figure out the whole, like, this is how I'm going to get leads and this is how I'm going to follow up with people, just asking the probing questions, like, does wonders. Yeah. In other words, as opposed yeah. to looking at that person like they're a transaction and how quickly can I get to the point where I can figure out, can I make money from them? Start with them as a person, what situations they're dealing with, what obstacles maybe they're dealing with, and then say, okay, now that I know their background, here are some methods that I think can work with what you're specifically struggling with and the goal that I have to buy this property. Yeah. And like, and then you can, you know, also share, just share really genuinely, like what, what you're trying to do. Like, it's not wrong to try and make money off of like, I wholesaled that Uh that first place for $29,000. We made $11,000 in settlement. And like, there was an attorney representing the sellers at settlement. And I was like, and the attorney at, for, for, I didn't, that was my first time. So I was like, is he going to feel some sort of way that like we're walking with a check and it's on the HUD and they can see it. But he shook my hand after he was like, congratulations. You were able to like put a deal together and make some money and great. And guess who brought me my next wholesale deal? Mm-hmm. That attorney. <laughs> so like, I think just being open with it and, and once you're okay with it and you're, you know, you just treat people like they want to be treated and just with respect and learn about them. 
Well, you I said mean, this one, is how I, could, I have stories for days. This is how I put together that big development too. Well, you said something there that I don't want to gloss over because it was so good. And you just said, you said, well, maybe it's, you know, genetics or something, but I just actually care about these people's stories. And like that, like in other words, like shocking, you genuinely care about people and people can read into that. People know when people genuinely care or when they're being, you know, a transaction. And so like anybody listening to this just yeah, genuinely care. Like, don't we're not saying like pretend to care and do a better job acting, but like genuinely care. Like, be in the moment, be present when you're having conversations with motivated sellers or attorneys or wholesalers or mentors, and stop thinking what's in it for me. How do I get more out of this? But just genuinely say, hey, I'm really interested in this person, and I want to yeah. know what's going on in their life. Yeah, That's it's like it. a. How to Win Friends and Influence, like 101 from uh, Carnegie. It's such a good book, but like, that's like the basis of so much of his, uh, of that book is like, just care, just care. And people will like, they'll root for you. Like you, like you said, that other, that the 18 and versus 20,000 person, they wanted you to get it because they liked you and they were rooting for you. They're on your team, which mm-hmm. feels weird. Cause like, you're trying to get a good, you know, they're making less money, but they, people sincerely like to sell to people they sincerely like. So Anyway, that's awesome. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one, and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. 
Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means. Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. All right, dude. So let's talk about like what you're doing with all these properties. You're buying a bunch of stuff. You said you had um, what, 20 some rentals now? Yeah, 23 units up to wow. that, including the ones that are in construction. Yeah. And you're, so you're, you got the, that's a lot. I mean, that's awesome. So how are you financing all of these properties? And like, are you flipping some? Is that how you're paying for it? Are you burying them? What's your strategy? So most of it, uh, like 90% of them were doing the first strategy by it. It's all, the same. We're buying stuff for like 30 to 70 and putting either like 50 to up to probably the biggest ones, like 180 since it was a triplex. And then where we have the value, you know, we're in it for right around the 70% mark. And then we're able to refinance and get most of the money back. We've sold a few of them, especially this year. Like uh, in March, we were like, all right, let's cash out a couple of them. And we want to move up to larger stuff too. So we're also thinking about selling some of the duplex and triplexes we have. But it's basically the birth strategy for all of it and selling some when we need to like get more cash back in our pockets. That's cool. And are you finding like local banks are able to help you refinance? Like, you know, this is the whole like can't have more than four or 10 loans to your name, but are you running into that problem or how are you getting around that kind of stuff? So we're not, we have all of ours are in LLC except for like one that I have that's in my personal name, but there's one uh, local credit union that's been like a great asset to us. We've found a lot of options, like most local lenders, whether they're like banks or what do you call it? I don't know if like larger institutions, they're usually lending around like 70, 75% LTV. The rates are like five, six, amortized over 25, 30 years, but you got to pay it off in like 15. Yeah. This one bank that we've uh, found, it's amortized over 20 years, you paid off in 15, but they get 80% of the value. That's cool. And the rates only like, we just refied the six the other week and it's like four and a quarter. Yeah, so cool. really low. So we're trying to lock in as much of these rates, as much of these low rates as we can right now before, I don't know what's going to happen next year or the year after. But yeah, the refi has been the easy part, luckily. Like we've built a good relationship and uh, that's, they've gotten the same. We've been hitting our values too. Like this, we've been focusing on, in mostly on West Philly. So like I decided to specialize in this one area and rents are going up in that area. Values are going up in that area. It's, we're doing, we're doing all right. Oh, that's cool. Does anybody else have the problem where every time somebody says West Philadelphia, 
they immediately think born and raised on a playground is where I spend most of my days. Anybody else? Every single time. Anyway. So you're, you're buying these properties, you're burying them. I love the, I love the tip about the local community bank. Like, yeah, you're not getting the 30 year mortgage necessarily. You're paying it off way faster, which is great for long-term wealth building. Uh, maybe a little less cash flow. Then maybe the return is not as low. I mean, sorry, the, the interest rate isn't as low as you'd get from maybe like a Wells Fargo US bank, but the, it's so much easier. Like who cares right now? You're building wealth, you're building passive income and cash flow and building these things up and you're building the portfolio, which is awesome. And so you, you do what you got to do. I think so many people get stuck with these like, this is the rule of real estate is I have to go to a big bank and put down 30% and get this on a th- like, like there's so much flexibility and you don't know that until you jump in and start doing stuff and asking questions and talking with other investors and getting to know it. So I'm curious, uh, before we move on to like the, the deal deep dive, this is a question I want to ask more often on the show, but I never do, but I'm going to ask you how has mentorship played a role in your upbringing of being a real estate investor. And maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. Like, and, and what I mean by that is, are there people that you like, they were your mentors getting this or did you just kind of figure things out along the way? I guess what role has mentorship played? I haven't, I don't think I've really necessarily had a, I don't know if you call a coach and a mentor the same thing. Like, do you, or sort of? Yeah, this- yeah you, you could. I mean, I've heard people call them the same. I've heard people call them differently, but yeah. So I've had, I've, I've had sort of mentoring, like, I've, I've had both coaching and mentoring. I've had a business coach for the majority of like since 2000, late 2013, okay. KW, who's really helped. And he invests in real estate too. So he's helping the sales end and like pulling That's me cool. back to reality with investing. Cause I'm kind of crazy and I'm like, let's go do this. And he's like, no, 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 no. So like that's really helped. But mentoring wise, like there's just been a couple people who've really helped. First joining the development firm in 2013, like that was a really close, there was only like five of us. And so just, I, could ask all the questions in the world that I wanted to with, about the guys I was working with who were doing all this construction. It's so, like that really helped on the construction end. And like one of my lenders is actually, he's been a big investor for himself and he's been a really good resource for us. One of our uh, hard, he's in between like hard money and private money rates, but guy who's done tons of developments, tons of rehabs. And like, I just have a few key people like that. Like one of my partners on that large project, the, um, before the construction guy, the developer I was with, and then one of the lenders, like, I think a few of those people have made huge differences in like, and what we've done places that I've bought and not bought. Um, but I haven't had like any direct apprenticeships or mentorships like that. But I think having a couple key people makes all the difference because there's, there've been some moves like definitely I could have, there's been some places that would have been really bad investments that I was going to buy that I'm glad we didn't like this 10 unit in Camden, we almost bought that I'm, I think would have had all these structural problems we could have lost a bunch of money on. Like being talked out of some of those things is that we've dodged some bullets. So I don't know if that sort of answered the yeah. question. It does. It does. I'm just, I always like to know, like, cause some people are like real big on like, I can't get started unless I have a mentor. And then they, they're like, will you be my mentor? And they get that kind of the awkward relationship. But like, you strike me as somebody who's more like, just figure things out. And, but, but also at the same time, build relationships with people who are experienced. So you, you don't have the formal necessarily like awkward, like I'm going to meet with you every week mentor thing. You have a business coach, which I love coaches. I love like performance coaches or business coaches. I think they're fantastic, but you, you just build relationships with everyone around you. And I think, I, I guess the word I'm like, the, the way I'm going with this is like, 
you strike me as just super authentic in the way you build relationships. And I think that's the way that people trying to get into real estate right now should be focusing as authentic relationships with sellers, with vendors, with potential mentors, like just authentic, build friendships and relationships with people. And they want to help you. They want to root for you as long as you're not weird about it. Yeah. And I think something that comes to mind as you say that is like, when you're at, I, don't, I, like, I hate asking people for help, first of all, like mm-hmm. I, it's one of my things that just I'm working on. But I think if you do, whenever I ask someone a question, I like try and make triple sure that I've gone and researched everything I possibly can. So like it ends up being like a three minute conversation and I'm not sucking out way that person's time. Like, I think that's why the rare times that I do it, people want to talk to me because I'm like, I went and tried this and I called this lender and I did this and I can't figure this little thing out. Like, can you please help me instead of like, Hey, I'm trying to buy a 10 unit. Like, what do I do? Yes. Like, yes. So that's really helped. Yeah. I think that's, that's the ideal use of a, of a mentor is I've tried everything. I'm stuck on this one point. Can you, can you help me out here? And then they, they, a little question, like I've talked to 10 banks. I can't get one that will finance this. That's a good question for a mentor. Yeah. Right. But not what bank do I go to, to finance this? Like, go talk exactly. to the 10 first. Yeah. So good. I think that's a great lesson in general when it comes to looking for partners or looking for yeah. help that the more general your question, the more onus you put on the other person to figure out how to solve your problem, which gives them less incentive to do it. The more specific of a question you're bringing, the easier it is for them to help you. And so the more likely they are. Yep. And I say this because a lot of very well-intentioned people probably have no idea how that question comes across to the person that you're asking it of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rodney, I think that probably for you is somewhat natural because you're very good at being likable and you're a genuine person. So that would like automatically be the way that you'd go about it, which is probably one of the reasons you've been successful. And I'm sure that that success isn't just related to real estate investing. I'm sure in your agent business, you're doing very well there also. And you probably are on a, a very good trajectory to build that business as well because people like genuine people. If you look at the real estate industry in general, just all of real estate, the trend is towards technology. There are big companies that are trying to convince people that own real estate, you don't need humans in this. They all do the same. They're all interchangeable. Every agent's the same as every other agent. Let us connect you with a buyer iBuyer programs, SEO programs to get people to click on something and say, I can sell my house without an agent. And they get really excited. And they're not being told, you're prob- you probably would have got a lot more if you'd used an agent or the yeah. agent that you use matters as far as how much money you can walk away with. And the only way for those of us that are trying to make a living in this industry that are not part of a huge machine of iBuying companies is by setting ourselves apart with the relationship piece. And that's really why Brandon's asked you these questions and why we wanted to share your story with the listeners because you've got that secret sauce. You can... One conversation with you, and it's very clear, this is different than most people. I trust this person. I think they're looking out for me just as much as they're looking out for themselves. And that's how you get ahead. You don't try to beat technology by at its own game by, let me make this as transaction-focused as possible. A computer program will always be able to do that better than we could as a human being. You do it by playing this other game, this relationship game that technology will never be able to overcome. Yeah, totally agree. Like it's, it's a, it's an intangible thing that kind of sounds very, very talked about sometimes, but like, and by the way, like my, one of the challenges I'm going through right now is I'm like, my agent business is doing okay. But like, I feel like I've been self-sabotaging because I'm actually like getting bored in a way of like, I really want to step up on the and do larger investing stuff. So I've been talking to my coach. I'm like, 
I'm ignoring all my clients. Like I'm, so we're trying to figure, we're trying to figure that out. But the people that I do work with, I think really appreciate like just having a relationship. Like I've tried taking time to learn about someone's whole life story. Like talking people out of buying the wrong house is a conversation I have a lot more often than like, okay, this is the one you want. Like, cause you told me you, you're trying to, you know, buy investment properties and retire next amount of years, but you're telling me you want to buy a $500,000 house and you're like, you don't have any kids yet. Like, yeah. so sometimes that conversation goes in the other direction. But they'll mm-hmm. remember it. And those people will come back to you when it's time. There's many people that called me about selling their house and I talked them out of it or that wanted to buy the wrong type of property. And I talked them out of that and had to buy a different one where I, they knew I made a lot less money, but it was better for them. And it always comes back tenfold with referrals that get sent your way or them bringing other people to, to you. I mean, one really good investment deal can be five to 10 transactions in a normal thing. So that's mm-hmm. just that's always the struggle though, is there's a tempting side that wants to say, well, I could get this right now. But if you just have faith and you put other people first, it always ends up coming back to you. That was really one of the, the core tenets that Josh Dorkin used when he established bigger pockets was mm-hmm. you're not going to be in business long if you go for the quick, easy kill right off the bat instead of the, the nurture of doing the right thing. And I, Brandon and I have seen this time and time again. There are flashes in the pan that come along and put a lot of people under contract really quickly. But the way they do business was very one-sided or dishonest and they don't last very long. And then the, the Rodneys, you know, I'm sure when we talk to you 5, 10 years later, you're going to have an empire that was built on the back of this being genuine and being trustworthy and being an honest person. Trying. Trying awesome, to have an empire. Man. There you go. All right. Well, let's move along and hit the next segment of the show. It's called our Deal Deal Deep Deep Dive. This is the part of the show where we dive deep into one particular deal that you've done, Rodney. Do you have something we can dig into? I do. Uh, A simple, straightforward one, actually. All right. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you, well, we're going to ask you a series of eight questions about it. First, well, technically eight, technically nine, because the first one I always ask two questions. What kind of property is it and where is it located? That's the first question. It's a duplex that's being turned into a triplex in Cobbs Creek, West Philly. All right. All right. And how did you find this deal? (laughs) On the MLS. MLS. All right. What do you... Uh, There's a, a side question of the deal deep dive, but what do you look for when you're looking on the MLS in a competitive market like Philly? So, for some like for this one particularly, I I look for areas that are I'm pretty confident that have you can see a couple things going on with the area that are going to be worth more in the next couple of years, and this is the perfect example of it because I bought it like two something a little more than two years ago, and now uh, the rents are way like three to four hundred dollars higher. The value's way higher. And so having a certain amount of cash flow, like a couple hundred bucks per unit, plus the appreciation, and plus being able to put the least amount of money out of pocket, which is what happened here. All right. All right. So MLS, very cool. And how much did you pay for this property? It was one thirty two with the seven thousand dollar assist. Oh, wait, one thirty two with a set. So they gave you seven thousand for closing costs? Yeah, and mind you, it was actually listed only for like one ten or one fifteen. So I over I overpaid for it because I saw that I thought it was worth something. All right, and how how did you negotiate all that? Like, what what did your negotiations look like? Obviously, that played into it offering more. So I called the agent like day one when it was listed. Uh, I had this really short window that I was financeable for like a couple months to the end of the year, so I really wanted this. Called the agent, set up a showing felt out whether I thought I needed to have them represent me or not. And they actually seemed to be, it was okay if I represented myself. And then I just said like, Hey, look, 
like, what's your highest offer right now? And tell me what I need to do to beat it. That was really what it was. And then that number happened to match. Oh, we're, you know, our highest offer is 122, one, whatever. Cool. I'm going to offer net 125. And, but I'm going with FHA, but here's the reasons why I think I'm going to close because I'm Rodney Ross and blah, 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 blah. And I've got a great lender and here's his phone number. And so built a, built a lot of rapport with that agent, really nice lady. And that's the only reason I got it because there was like six other offers. Right on. So you already told us you funded it with an FHA loan. Any additional financing? It was actually FHA 203K loan. Okay. Um, So did the 20 something thousand dollars worth of rehab. Now I'm putting another 45, 50 out of pocket, adding a unit and going to refinance again. Oh, so it's like a burr house hack. It's a browse hack. Sounds like maybe. Exactly. You, okay. All right. So for, by the way, 203K loan, can you explain what that is? Because I love the FHA 203K loan. Explain how that works for those who might not know. Yeah. So a 203K loan is a uh, standard FHA loan. You can put as little as 3.5% down. And a 203K loan is the same. And you're allowed to do rehab work. I did the streamline one, which is like if you do less than 35000 they don't need to do their, they don't need to have their whole HUD consultant go out and do their whole, this is what I think the rehab is going to cost. You just submit a budget boom, like here's your contractor, here's who, what contractor you want to use, here's how much it's going to cost. And then they let you just go at it. And it takes a little bit longer to close. You're probably looking at 45, 60 days, but it's a really good product if you know what you're doing and can like have a contractor who doesn't need a ton of money up front because they have yeah. to front a little more money than normal. Yeah. Well, it's cool is you can, yeah, you don't have to come out of, out of pocket with all the repairs needed. Like that gets financed in. It's just three and a half percent of the total, which is super cool for those who want to do kind of a browse hack, we'll call it like the, the, yeah. the buy rehab. It's like, you don't have to refinance because you get the rehab built. So it's like the buy rehab, rent it out and live in it because you got to, you got to live in it at least for a year. Right. And then instead of refinance, you just like, it just transitions to a long-term loan basically. Cause it's already from the beginning anyway. And then you, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Well, there's not a lot to refinance out if you use an FHA loan, cause you only put three and a half percent down. So there's yeah. not a ton that you need to get back out of it especially because the rehab was included in the loan too. So you accomplished the same thing as a burr. Unless you add another unit like, uh, like Rodney doing, which is super cool. Like you went, you still went from a duplex, you added a whole other unit and you're, you're covering that out of pocket now to, to make the value go way higher. So then you can refinance, right? right? Exactly. That's so cool. And like, and like what uh, David said, like I use my commission, 3% commission as my down payment. So I actually Mm. came out of pocket like 500 bucks at closing because the last insecurity covered the other half percent down payment and my seller's assist covered the closing costs. So it was literally like 500 bucks out of pocket. And it was both the units were already rented at like 825 and 850. And I had every intention to move in there, but within the first 60 days for FHA guidelines, you know, but uh, I, I, it actually just ended up being a uh, straight um, duplex investment. I didn't live there. Yeah, the FHA guideline is uh, you need to have the intention to move in. Your plan has to be moving in there. Now, if you if something changes in your life and you end up not moving in because of that, they don't come at you with guns and and jail time. But you do have to be able to say you like you have to you have to genuinely have a plan. Like your intentions are to move into the place. Uh, so just something that that's what we're that's what you're talking about there, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I just had a there was an old lady in the first floor unit who like didn't move out. So yeah, you know, <laughs> he's like, well, I could evict her or. Just leave it. Right. It was, yeah. that's, I don't want to talk about that. That was going to be So, All for right. this third unit, did you have to get it permitted to add it? How did that work? Yeah. So, this one is on a block where, like, luckily, it's the, 
the, the places are all set really back far from the street. And the first floor is raised a good like six steps off the ground. So all the basements have tall ceilings. And all you have to do is add an entrance and it's like three steps down. And it's a really deep two bedroom unit, probably like a thousand square feet. Um, so that's, that's cool. how we're, you know, we're just going through the process. We dug the entrance, got the permit. And, you know, I, I love basements so much. I wish we had right. more of them in California. They're like the best thing ever when it comes to real estate, if there's a decent rental demand. That's yeah. Cool. That's one of the benefits, I guess, of living near tornadoes and stuff. So wait, there aren't, there aren't basements at all really in California. Right? Hardly ever do we have those. Yeah. Oh. Yes. I can't even imagine that. You know? It's very <laughs> rare when you come across that very old properties and only in certain cities do they even have properties that were built with basement foundations. So that's something that as an agent, when I'm looking at stuff, if I see anything that says basement, I immediately key in on that. And how big is it? How tall is it? Like it's so easy to convert those and relatively inexpensive compared to building a whole new ADU. Side note, we do have legislation that passed in California that makes it so that the government can't stop you from building ADUs on your property. The problem is there's no easy financing in place for those. So it's going to cost eighty dollars to $120,000 to build this entire new structure, which could have been the down payment on a whole property. So it's not very financially advantageous to do that. Well, so a question for you, David, on that, because this is something I've been thinking about lately uh, here in Hawaii for the same reason that you got in California. It sounds like a business opportunity for me somewhere. And here's where I'm going with it. If you spend a hundred grand, let's say, building on an ADU, I don't know if that's reasonable in California, but let's say you've been hundred grand building a two bedroom little shack on your property. What does that rent for there in your area? Uh, somewhere between 1500 and $3,000. All right. So we're looking at probably like a one and a half to 2% rule basically on this thing. It's going to cash flow like an ATM machine. It's going to be really, like, it's, it's a good investment to do. Most people won't think that way, A, or don't have the money to do that, B, right? So what if there was a company, I'm just making this up, like, but I've been thinking about this. What if there was a company who would go into people's properties, fund the entire building of the ADU, manage the property that gets rented out and just take a sizable percentage? Like I'll take 50% of the rent for the next 10 years or 20 years. So they get paid back their whole amount plus some. Is that like, anybody ever heard of that? Anybody doing that? Because I feel like there's an opportunity there somewhere. There's like a business model that could work really well. Nothing. I think, it, yeah, it would work. I think that, especially with as much money as floating around, but I just, yeah. I don't have heard of it. Yeah. I don't know anybody doing it, but it's cool. Yeah, if anybody knows of anybody doing that, let us know in the show notes because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super curious. I think in Hawaii, that probably adds more value to your property than it does in California because everybody yeah. wants that that Ohana unit in Hawaii. Yes. So you can then refi the money that you spent out. You like basically burn your Hawaiian property and get it yep. back out. California having one of those doesn't really add a ton of value because not as many people have caught on to, I want to rent out part of my property. Of course, bigger pockets listeners want that, but your average yeah. home buyer isn't looking to be a landlord. Yeah. Anyway, though, I've digressed a little bit here. Thank you for letting me get back on track. All right, Rodney, we know that this became a Burr house hack. You're adding an additional unit and that's not completed, correct? Uh, not completed. Not yet. Almost. Okay. So what lessons have you learned from this deal so far? The main lesson having it, it had challenges with my one section, eight tenants. So how to like work through, you know, it's just difficult with, uh, especially this year, like I had a challenge earlier this year when all, when all the eviction rules happened and all that just ended up being a weird situation uh, with that tenant. But mainly, I think the main thing was like um, believing in, it was the only place I think I paid like over asking like that, especially with financing. And, but I knew in the back of mind, I'm like, this has got to be like, this is the cash flow makes sense. Day one, like it's already making like 1750 a month. My payment's going to be like 11 
So I believed in like what I thought the value was, even though it was listed on the MLS for a lot less than what I thought. And that paid off because in just two years, the rents now, like that unit that the, the old lady was in that was 825, I just listed 1175 and have a bunch of people that want it. Second floor just vacated is going for 1175. Bottom is going to be a thousand. So it's going to turn from making like 1750 to like 3,100 bucks wow. or, th- or even a little more maybe, which is crazy like in a couple of years. So it's, the area is just really just harsh. Um, so believing in what you think something is worth and when, when you know enough that you can see the value and just going after it and like forget what other people think that it may, may or not, may not, not be worth. Mm-hmm. That yeah. makes sense. It does. Well, real estate investing is meant to build wealth over time. So it's somewhat foolish to look at your year one numbers and assume that's what it's going to be forever. They could go up, they could go down, but you should be looking at which you expect them to do because my experience has been just like yours. In areas that I bought in, in higher appreciating markets, both rent and value, they performed really, really well over time. And it's okay if I didn't make an incredible high ROI in year one, because by year five or six, I definitely was. And conversely, some of the markets where I had a stronger ROI going in on year one, they sort of flatlined. They didn't really do a whole lot. And then when I did get capital expenditures, they crushed me. Like I got one right now that hasn't appreciated at all. And the sewage line has to be fixed. It's about 3,500 bucks. And that's like oh, probably two years of profit completely gone by one thing. And rents are, you know, over a two to three year period have gone up like $25, hardly anything. So it's definitely wise to consider the big picture. That's what I wanted to highlight with what you're doing. It sounds like you got a great deal there. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm thankful for it. That's awesome, man. Congratulations on that. That sounds like a really, like, that's like the, I feel like the Brandon Turner special right there. I love that type of, like I've done so many of those like small multifamily, adding a unit, that kind of stuff. I love it. All right. Well, we got to move on to the last segment of the show. It's time for our famous four. This is the part of the show where we ask the same four questions every week to every guest. So we're going to throw them at you, Rodney. So number one, Rodney, current favorite or all-time favorite real estate related book. All-time favorite is probably the Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Current favorite that I've been revisiting is the Millionaire Real Estate Investor. The diagrams in that, I really like. I'm a visual kind of guy. And mm-hmm. it just, it's a good mental reminder. Like, and, and even for clients, it helps. Like, it shows, like, this is what happens. Even if you buy a place every other year for, like, 15 years or whatever, it just shows, it does all the math where, like, it shows if you put this many such and such. They have the basic models, like, you get get a little house, 20% under value, put 20% down and finance it. This, you know, it's funny, the rates that they use in there are like seven and eight. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. my God, like rates. So anyway, those, those models are like timeless. It just shows that if you just make little investments over a decade or two, you end up having millions of dollars. So that's yep. the current one I've been looking at. But Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I mean, all time for me. Cool. Awesome. That's a great shout out. What about your favorite business book? I think my favorite business book, which really just like whacked me in the face last month, which I actually think you guys mentioned on another episode, The E-Myth. I got the mm, audio book. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm going through this, breaking down the three roles and the tra- technician, the entrepreneur. I'm like, wow, I'm going through this burnout thing right now where like I'm operating yeah. and all that. And <laughs> it's different skill sets to run a business than to be a really good agent or investor or whatever. So we're readjusting now and it, it just like, it hurt a little bit to read that, but I think I'm getting, I'm stepping way back out of my comfort zone again, uh, trying to make our business look more like a business and not just based off of like my energy all the there time. Yeah. I love That's that awesome. book. Love it. 
All You're a very right, smart guy, Rodney, in case no one's ever told you. <laughs> I'm just trying to learn from... I, I listen to, I, so I've listened to so many podcasts. Like I've been, I've been a long time listener. I think I started listening to bigger podcasts. Just like, I don't know, five, how long have you you've been around? Been like for eight, eight, we have been around for almost eight years now, I think. Right. About, yeah. Right? It's been a while. So I've learned a lot of tips from, from both of you guys. Just trying to Thanks. pick off a little here and there. I like how you gave us credit for your own intelligence. That's a very classy move there. <laughs> and smart, proving my point even more. Okay. When you're not flattering the hosts of the podcast you're being interviewed on, what are some of your hobbies? I love working out. I like the bike. I like the lift. I like to speak French. I really was... My big goal this year was to try and like go back to France for like a month or two. Didn't happen. I literally... I'm not, you know, I don't even think you could go right now because I just shot yeah. again. But working out, speaking French, and just playing guitar... So that helps my mind, like, because my mind goes a thousand miles an hour thinking about this all all the time. Yeah, big goals right now are like to take time off, get over to Europe, and yeah. for a couple months at least, get in a happy place. That's fantastic, man. Well, my final question of the day, and the last of the famous four: What separates successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? So I've forgotten that you asked that. <laughs> <laughs> I think. As cliche as it sounds, like just sticking with it, not getting out of the game. Like this is as simple as it is. It is. It's not easy. And like the hardest part about this right now, like a couple of years ago when we were just building up, like I feel like figuring out the rehab and like the numbers and that was I hadn't done any of that yet. But now it's like managing my own emotions and like and not getting to the point. I've kind of my my coach was telling me he's like, look, you've been doing this for like the past year again, like you're really good for a couple months and then burn the heck out and get anxious as heck and not be able to sleep. And then you have to chill out and then you don't have any business and then it happens again. So just managing, like learning how to, first of all, staying in the game and then just learn how to manage your own emotion and like just be more self-aware. That's my biggest thing right now. Like I'm, I'm taking a step back. I'm not really out looking to buy something hardcore right now. I'm trying to like get my head together yeah. to, to get ready for the next, Hopefully next step, which is buying bigger things, not houses. All right, man. Love it. Well, with that said, David Green. For those who want to learn more about your story, tell us where people can find out more about you. Sure. So we're we're a lot heavier on social media these days. Uh, Philly Real Estate Boss on Instagram. I have LinkedIn. Our new website, which is almost done. It'll be done in a week or two, LimitlessRE.com. And so Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Mainly the Instagram, I think, is where posting most often. Just started a TikTok, which is also Philly Real Estate Boss. But, you know, so I think there'll be more fun stuff up on there in the near future. Those are the main channels. All right. Very cool. Well, with that said, I think it's time to get out of here. David Green, you want to close down shop? I appreciate you, Rodney. It's been a great show. Thank you so much. Appreciate both of you. Thanks, Rodney. It was awesome talking to you. And thanks for sharing your knowledge. I think it's going to do a lot of people a lot of good. This is David Green for Brandon, the Browse Hacker Turner, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. 
Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.